Coming up on this week's show, why the Commodore 64 will be on primetime TV tonight. Has a lost Sonic CD level been found? Plus, we answer your questions. (laughs) 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 Who the hell's he? This week's show is brought to you by our good friends at Bitmap Books and their brand new book, Metal Slug, The Ultimate History. Pre-orders available now at bitmapbooks.co.uk. And The Economist, the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Hello and welcome to the Retro Owl podcast, episode number 185. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to this week's podcast. Now, every week the Retro Owl podcast brings you everything that's been happening in the world of retro gaming. And we also bring you, um, most weeks a veteran of the video game industry to give the inside story on a company or a game that changed the industry or shaped our lives in some way. This show, even though we've been doing it three and a half years now, it's never really been about us, has it? No, I'd say this is episode 185 and probably 180 have been interviews (laughs) and the other five have been maybe a few quizzes and then kind of question and answer stuff and today we're actually going to do something really unique which is we're going to get questions from you guys the listeners and we're going to answer them on air which should be really good fun actually we've yeah. had a lot of demand for this haven't we <laughs> this is crazy yeah because we we got a few messages of people going why don't you do an episode about you guys and i thought well who the heck or joe's famous because he's in like metal band oh, yeah, and everything course, you know that's why he wasn't here last week getting botox in la cheers <laughs> looking good though joe um but yeah, we thought, why don't we give it a little, put the feelers out on Facebook and Twitter and see if we actually get any questions. And I think in less than 24 hours, we've had at least 50 or 60 questions. Yeah, so, they were yeah. pouring in and yeah. we've also hit our 100th iTunes review, yeah. which is awesome. So thank you, Don JS 7 And you said you were first started listening to the show on YouTube and you're really glad the lads put this show together because all this could have been forgotten about. So it's brilliant. Thanks. Reviews do make a huge difference to... Uh, Getting in front of new people, really. So we really appreciate that, guys. If you do listen on, uh, they don't like it being called iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've had emails about that. Um, then, yeah, please do leave one. A little five-star rating really helps us get in front of new people. But like we said, this week, it's going to be us guys answering your retro Q&A. So we're handing over the second half of the show to you guys. I haven't let you two see the questions yet. Yeah, I'm really, really worried about this because of Dan... In true Dan fashion, being Quizmaster. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen a few like, on social. There's no so. right or wrong answers, but I'm still worried. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. Oh, they're very simple. I think someone asked Joe, can you give an in-depth history on Shinobi? Just off the top of your head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Off, straight off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. Actually, good? you know what? I think I'd do all right, to be fair. Very good. First question. <laughs> we're going to give Joe all the Amiga questions. Yeah, so. Do it, do it. <laughs> so we're going to be doing that in around 20 minutes from now on the podcast. And um, also, we've got some exciting news about, if you live in the UK, we're going to be joined by Chris Abbott in just a minute. Um, of course, the guy behind the 8-Bit Symphony that happened recently in Hull. I mean, we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. But tonight, he's actually going to be on the one show here in Britain on the BBC with Rob Hubbard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Rob's appearing on the one show. They've got Stephen Fry with him. Yep. And actually, they've commissioned a Commodore 64 theme song Yeah, <laughs> uh, wrote by... Rob Hubbard, which is going to be the one-show tune. I don't know if he'll be able to do it in time. We'll see. Yeah, yes. I mean, we're recording this a couple of days before. But we're going to get the story about that. It's going to be on Friday night, time the show comes out in the UK. We're going to be joined by Chris Abbott to chat a bit more about that in just a minute. Before we do get to it, though, let's give a huge thank you to people who've made it into the Hall of Fame this week. Now, how do you get into the Hall of Fame, Ravi? 
Hall of Fame, basically, you help supporters. And the way you can do that is on the website, you can click support and you can donate to the podcast. Now, the donations are great because they help the show kind of keep chugging along. And we do have sponsorship in this show as well, but it's not every single episode. And, you know, just having that really nice little cushion helps us kind of run the show, get the studio, you know, all the money goes back into the show. So we really appreciate these donations, guys. Yeah, that is the one thing about, you know, any donations that we get into, any listener-supported stuff, that all 100% goes back into the running of the podcast. You know, hosting, licenses for the editing software, everything like that. I mean, it all really does make a massive difference. And nice if we don't have to pay for it all out of our own pockets, so that's really appreciated. And for making a donation of any amount through our website, at theretrohour.com, click on the supporters link, or you can do it direct, PayPal at theretrohour.com. You will find your place in the most prestigious high score table in the world of retro gaming. Just like this week, Paul Edwards, Darren Coles, Daniel Waddington, and Matthew Martin. Really appreciate your donations, guys. And if you'd like to do the same, just nip onto our website at theretrohour.com. This is time quite well. You've been playing a bit of Metal Slug this week then, Joe. Yeah, uh, really kind of weird, actually. Bit of a Twilight Zone kind of situation. I wasn't expecting this at all for us to be talking about Metal Slug today, uh, especially this great new book. Uh, but yeah, I've been playing uh, Metal Slug 3 and 4. Uh, yeah. And Metal Slug X, actually, all week with my wife, every night, actually, interestingly. so Great games, though. Yeah, fantastic games. Um, real, real, real love for the Metal Slug games. Um, just got that real nostalgia for them as well. So this book does look fantastic, so... Well, you need to give some love to this if you're a fan of Metal Slug as well, because we did have Sam Dyer on the show last week uh, when Joe was off, talking a bit about this book that was mm. coming out. This week, pre-orders are actually open right now. Okay. Now, this is our good friends at Bitmap Books. The new book is called Metal Slug, The Ultimate History. And this is the first officially licensed book to document the history of one of gaming's most beloved franchises. The thing about it is it had such an interesting development. I mean, how much it changed from yeah. that initial concept. Yeah. I mean, we were talking to Sam last week, and he said originally, the main character is going to be a tank. Yeah. Yeah, and that changed, you know, so much over well, the time. Uh, and a lot of those original drawings are actually in this book. Yeah. And there's lots of interviews with the original Japanese developers, which, you know, we're yeah. not going to be able to get over it's here in the West. I was going to say, because the kind of like predecessor to it is the in, is the game In the Hunt, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you play submarines in that. So I think, obviously, Metal Slug was kind of like then going to the, you play as, you know, a tank. And uh, from there. as Dan said, you know... It's all SNK approved. Yeah, yeah. Well, SNK have approved this. What's amazing is, I mean, as we heard last week with Sam, there's stuff in here that he's got from some of the original developers that even Mm. SNK haven't got, like concept artwork and that you're going to see in this book for the first time it's ever been published. 11 exclusive, incredibly detailed interviews with the key members of the development team as well. So if you're a Metal Slug fan, I mean, like all of Bitmap Books' books as well, this is going to be presented impeccably. I mean, that's the one thing I've noticed actually over the last couple of weeks since we've had um, Bitmap Books sponsoring the show. We've had a load of tweets in, like uh, we had one here, um, going, hey guys, thanks so much for the tip. I treat myself to a few bitmap books. I'm amazed by the attention to detail and quality on them. Uh, also got one of Danny here as well. You've got to listen to the Retro Hour. Really interesting. I'll have to look at the website and buy a book or two. Julian actually got the CRPG book that we're talking about. He said, really well written, beautifully presented too. So everyone that gets these books, I mean, you're always blown away by how yeah, incredible. Every time you bring, kind of drop one off for yeah. me, I'm just like, wow, these just look fantastic. So... So you've got to check this out. The pre-orders are open right now. It opened yesterday morning, so you've got to be quick. Jump onto the website, open a new tab in your browser, have a look at this book, see what you think of it. You'll be helping out the podcast, bitmapbooks.co.uk. 
Now, we were talking about 8-Bit Symphony, so tonight, going to be on primetime TV. How often do we see Commodore 64s on primetime BBC One? Seriously, never. <laughs> like, this is a breakthrough moment, I yeah. think. For... It might have been 30 years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a breakthrough moment for kind of British video game music. Well, let's talk about it with the man behind 8-Bit Symphony. Welcome to the Retro Hour, Chris Abbott. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Now, today, of course, is a very big day for 8-Bit Symphony, isn't it? Because uh, tonight we might be seeing it on um, a rather big television show. Yep, it'll be on BBC One's The One Show, and they're actually getting Rob Hubbard on uh, on live, on the on the show, on the sofa, um, with Stephen Fry. Not entirely sure whether Stephen's interviewing him or just there. <laughs> <laughs> How has this happened, then? How come you're going to be on The One Show? Um... The conductor, Robin Tate, has a journalist friend, and the journalist friend thought it was a good story. He pitched it to a production company, and the production company said, yeah, that sounds fun. And they pitched it to the, the one show, and the one show said, yeah, that sounds fun. And then everyone came to the concert, and everyone was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And uh, so I think they thought it sounded like fun. <laughs> well, we talked to you last time about the 8-Bit Symphony, and from what we've seen, the reviews and everything, it seems like it's been a fantastic success, and you're going to actually continue the 8-bit symphony so um what are you going to be doing well the next step is launched today assuming today's friday um which is um a kickstarter to actually take all that music that was played at, in hull into a studio in prague with a professional hollywood grade orchestra and get it recorded for a cd release and then after that when we've got professional CD, uh, a professional CD release, that's when that music can start making the rounds on Classic FM Radio 3 and worldwide classical channels. And it's not just the, the tunes from the concert that, that are there. Um, the concert had to have some limitations put on it in terms of time. So we've restored the second half of Green Beret, um, extended, uh, brought Last Ninja back to its original size, and we're sticking in Zoids and as a stretch, stretch goal spellbound. So there's a, a lot of um, a lot of extra stuff that we can take to the studio in Prague and have a, a good go at. When I was looking at my timeline after the event, it just seemed that everyone who was there had such an incredible time. I mean, you must have been on a bit of a high after that, then, were you? Um, y- yes, yeah. Um, it was it was very good that it had all been validated that we proved something could happen. That is a proof of concept. Um, but uh, there was always the, the, the thing, OK, we know the one show is coming up, and what can we do? Uh, and Robert wanted, said he wanted, to, he wanted to go to Prague to record this stuff, and we thought, well, this is the ideal time. If we don't do it now, we'll have missed any number of votes. Amazing. Oh, I'm glad it's going really well, Chris. I mean, I was reading about it in The Guardian as well. I mean, you've had such good coverage, and everyone seems to be so impressed with it. And the fact that, you know, what, what are you saying, that Rob Hubbard's going to be doing a, a special version of the one show theme tune then? On the, on the Commodore 64, wow. yes. They've, they've, uh, they've asked him to do that. Uh, spoiler alert, um, I don't know how possible that is in the time scale, um, but uh, we'll see if he manages it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Rob's been pushed in <laughs> shorter time scales. Yeah, that's right, he has. But uh, um, when, he did the, uh, when he did the Project Hubbard SID files for Rob Returns, you know, him coming back with 15 new SIDs with, with Jason Page, um, he had the luxury of time. And uh, they, after you've been like doing orchestral stuff, going back to the little chip is is very very. It's a it's a big gear change. 
but we'll, we'll see how he does because, uh, you know, motivation. Yeah, I love the fact that we're going to see the Commodore 64 just on primetime BBC One tonight, though. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, any number of weird things in the... Uh, they're even playing a bit of knucklebusters on that report, I think. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll look out for that on TV if you live in the UK. Um, if not, I know you're going to share it on uh, online. We'll, we'll share your official link um, that you're going to put out as well after it's been on. So um, good luck with the TV appearance. Hope it goes well. And uh, good luck with the Kickstarter. We'll put that in our show notes as well, Chris. Thank you very much. It's a-bit-symphony.com. Uh, this was pretty cool during the week. Obviously, all big fans here of Sonic the Hedgehog. Obviously. And I, I think, you know, probably for me, we often get asked this, like, you know, at, at events and stuff, and, the, you know, the kind of stuff we're doing in the Q&A today. People are always like, you know, what's your favourite Sonic game then? And the answer I always give for me is always Sonic CD. Yeah. Because I think that game, even though the Mega CD wasn't really an earth-shattering success, I think that's probably the game that they put the most effort into. It's definitely the go-to game for it. You kind of like, for me, I always hear like, oh, if you've got a Sega CD, you always need Sonic CD and the Terminator game. Yeah. Uh, but I think Sonic CD really is kind of like the mascot game for that for that console. Yeah, it was a system console. seller really, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, for, for the few yeah. people that did buy it. For the few people, CD. for all six people who bought it. <laughs> but, but also it's it's been ported incredibly a lot. So one of the yeah. first mobile games that actually ran decently was Sonic CD. I've still got that on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it may not have sold back in the days, but probably nowadays, yeah. as the reputation's grown, loads of people have got more mm-hmm. into it. You mm. know? Yeah, and it's been ported to like you know modern systems as well, like yeah. Xbox Arcade and all that kind of thing. But what I do love about Sonic games is, <laughs> it's almost in a way like how kind of messy the development is of it a little bit. How they never clean up the code in yeah, these games. Yeah, it's never straightforward any kind kind of like even the original Sonic trilogy and stuff it was never straightforward there was always issues with this that and the other it's coming to light now that there's been more issues with, say, with <laughs> Sonic it's, CD it's kind of like Nintendo probably were like right destroy all this stuff we can't get it out there Sega were like oh, just chuck it in a drawer we've got old <laughs> yeah. versions everywhere you know? but if you look on YouTube as well there's often like you know the kind of look at early betas of other Sonic games and they also yeah. dissect the code and you often find old graphics and stuff that are unused yeah, that's still yeah, in there yeah. and sound effects and all that it's like Sonic Jam yeah. uh, the whole free area on uh, the Saturn version was kind of the prequel to what they were trying to do with um, Sonic Adventure. Yeah. You know, it's a bit of an experiment. So there's a bit of crossover there as well. You know? Well, it turns out now that a very early beta version of Sonic CD, actually so early it's called CD Sonic, version 0.02. And if you look at this tweet here, um, it's a forum thread on Reset Era, and or Resetra, however you pronounce it. Check out that sexy... Mega CD CDR. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll that whole man a few so, of them. So where did these come from then? Well, apparently, from what I can follow on this thread, it's actually Tony Takushi. It's from oh, his collection. excellent. Well, we had him on, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, obviously the guy behind Mean Machines and he worked for Sega for many years. And when we had him on the podcast, I think it was like right at the start of this year, wasn't it, around January, he did say that he was going to start going through his collection and selling off a few of the things that, you know, he doesn't really mm, want to keep on yeah. anymore. So I guess this is probably one of the first of them. Now, it turns out this beta version here comes from the 4th of December 1992. So it's a very early one, and I think it actually predates the um, the current earliest beta build of Sonic CD by about eight months. I think. So are there? Yeah, mid August nineteen ninety three. Yeah. yeah. So, are there yeah. any extras on there, or anything that we've not seen before? Well, that's a big question. Now, at the moment, this was an auction that a couple of guys on this forum won, but then it turned out the thread completely vanished. Now, this was a guy called DRX. 
and uh, another guy in here called Creege as well, who have apparently won these CDRs. Apparently, there's seven different versions of this. Okay. Different CDs have got, but this is the earliest one they found. And apparently, they were promising that they're going to dump these for everybody oh, else in awesome. the community to look at. So far, there's no really information on what's on there. They reckon maybe they've took this forum thread down because it's going to make a proper announcement about it. But the one thing everybody's asking is. I don't know if you guys knew this. There's actually a missing level from Sonic CD. Yeah. R2. Yeah, I've heard about that before. I don't know an awful lot about it, but... Well, this was shown in, like, some early... You know, when you watched, like, little glimpses on TV shows back in the early 90s and in magazines and stuff. Apparently, when you look at the the source code and how the game works, Mm. all the levels in Sonic CD have a code, like R1... But R2, R3, I4, as it goes on. Yeah. But it turns out the game actually goes from R1, jumps to R3. Okay. So there is a level that they reckon would have been between Palm Tree Panic and Collision Chaos. Okay. And there's a few things. I mean, some concept artwork has been leaked over the years. And also the kind of cut scene that would have been at the end of the level shows a bit about what it could be. Yeah. But the reckon, because this is such an early build, there's a pretty good chance that R2 might be in here. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. I, I think, you know, if because it's Sonic CD, it's a really good game. If it was like 3D Blast and they were like, we found an extra level, I doubt anyone would care. Sonic R. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. We've unearthed an extra level on Sonic R. <laughs> so, yeah, Sonic 06. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they reckon there's probably a reason why this level was taken out. Maybe, from what I've read, maybe it didn't flow quite as well as they wanted it to. You know, So maybe it's not going to be the most amazing Sonic level ever. But finding something that, you know, is kind of hidden in this game and mm. has been for like 25-odd years. And, you know, it's one of those kind of urban legends that's built up over the years as well, so it'd be cool to get to the bottom of that. So if we do find it anymore, we'll keep you up to date and you can check out this thread on Twitter. I'll link it up in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, obviously, if we're talking about huge franchises, what's even bigger than Sonic the Hedgehog? Star Wars. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. Well, yeah. have you heard of this group called Limited Run? No. So, they do limited runs of games. <laughs> and, uh, Good fantastic. Name, yeah. <laughs> they've just announced at E3 that they've partnered with Lucasfilm. So, what they're actually doing is they're re-releasing the Star Wars games, okay. but they're doing them in these kind of limited edition collector's pack, but they're re-releasing them for three different systems. So, kind of three different systems, three different generations. So, you know, the first one we've got here, which is the Star Wars NES game. Yep. And then they've got the Game Boy game, and then they've got the N64 game as well. Well, Shadows so, of the Empire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so we've got Empire Strikes Back, excuse me, the Empire Strikes Back for the NES, the Empire Strikes Back for the original Game Boy, and then Shadows of the Empire for the N64. And these seem to be in limited batches as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they're going to be of value in the future, but I really think, like, collectors of Star Wars stuff, and, you know, people yeah. that really like... Nicely packaged stuff will like it, and I kind of like that logo, which is forever physical. Yeah, which uh, in the in the times when we're lo- getting cards and redeem codes, this is yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Nice I mean, thing. Obviously, like Capcom have really jumped on this kind of bandwagon over the last couple of years and done really well with it. Hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how quickly they sold out and stuff. So. And you know, they've also partnered with Hyperkin. Who are the okay. guys that make the nice controllers? So they've got oh, yeah. also a limited run of uh, controllers as well. Yeah, they work on the original systems, by the looks of it. Yeah, mm. and I mean, they're wireless as well, which is pretty. No, cool. Okay, that's yeah, nice. Uh, they are a bit expensive. These limited run games. I mean, eighty four dollars ninety nine. So 
you know, you could, I can't imagine you could go into eBay and probably buy one yeah, of the originals for. I was going to say, I don't know about the Game Boy and NES one, but yeah. I know Shadows of the Empire, you can get that boxed for probably about £30. I, I, I don't know if that's the, the pound doing so badly and the dollar doing so well, because maybe a year ago we would have been like, oh, 84, that's not that <laughs> yeah, bad. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Those times are long gone. Yeah, my American <laughs> friends came over and they were like, it's so cheap here. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's cool when stuff like this happens, though. I love it when we do get this kind of good memorabilia and it's dedicated to video games. Yeah. And it looks a well-presented package. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff in there as well, like, you know, certificate of authenticity included, um, three art cards, you've got a poster in there too, metal coin, and the cartridge is like, you know, re reproduction of the original carts. So they do look pretty nice. And I think, you know, like you said, there's probably not many franchises they could charge this kind of money for, but... Star Wars is probably one way it's got and, and, it, yeah. and it kind of reminds me instead of like a game run an art run so you know when they do like paintings and they have limited batches and they're all individually numbered yeah it, it kind of seems like that yeah I would imagine you know, they'd probably be individually numbered and stuff but it doesn't tell you how many it just says it's a limited collection but it doesn't yeah. actually say um, how many there actually is so we don't know if they're in the hundreds or in the thousands but I would imagine it's probably not in the thousands so. Yeah, it's still, the Star Wars license can't be cheap to acquire either, so it's got to kind of bump the yeah. price up. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you do manage to get a hold of one, let us know what you think of it. Um, will you be buying, Joe? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I do like Star Wars. I am a big fan of Star Wars, but it's an American thing, so with shipping and stuff, I might have to give it a miss. You know, whatever I say, you're going to buy it, Joe? You didn't think about it until I said it, then he's like, actually. <laughs> Next time we go around, there's one. Uh, I'm, a yeah. I'm a Trekkie, so never. Yeah. Well, Trekker. Trekker. Yeah. Is it what is Trekkie offensive? Uh, yeah, uh, trekker is the real term. Is it? I think you'll find, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you find. <laughs> Calm down a bit in that corner. Right? <laughs> now, let's talk about Duke Nukem, obviously, legend of the video games world. Probably the favourite game of mine, I think, would have to be Duke Nukem 3D. That was the game where it really came into its own for mm -hmm. me. And, yeah. I mean, you know, talking about iconic characters, he's always had that attitude. He's like a legend of video games. It, well, for me, it was the FPS that changed everything. Yeah. So, the stuff that you had on Duke Nukem was multiple levels. You never had higher and lower levels that you had before, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the way that the maps were built and everything, it was absolutely fantastic. And that was done on an engine by a guy called Ken Silverman. Ken, please come on the podcast. We want you on. And, uh, <laughs> he was only really young at the that, time, wasn't he? Yeah, well? he was about 14, 15, yeah. and John Romero actually helped him out. And then this went on to other games like Redneck Rampage, um, uh, Shadow Warrior, William Shatner's Tech War and stuff. So they <laughs> they pushed the engine really far, but they used 24-bit polymost technology on it. Yeah, Tech War was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, they really pushed it and they pushed it far, but it seems like now there's been a whole remake using the Serious Sam engine. Serious Sam is an awesome game if you've ever played that as well. Really good. Uh, groundbreaking FPS. Well, what they've actually done by the looks of this is they've got the original, well, it's the first level, I think, at the moment of Duke Nukem 3D. And I'll link up a trailer that they've put on YouTube. And it actually goes through, like, kind of a comparison. So it shows the original game, then it'll show you their updated version of it. And the difference is, like, you know, I mean, obviously, there's 20 years between them. But it does look like, you know, a modern AAA video game. It looks mm. incredible. And they've added, like, a load of new stuff in there as well, like uh, new weapons, um, they've also got redesigned enemies in there too. And also they've got stuff in there for, like um, sounds and voices taken from various other Duke Nukem games oh, to okay. kind of flesh it out a bit more. It's kind of HD textures as well, but yeah. they've also got stuff that you're not going to get on the build engine, which is like 
bloom effects, smoke particles, all of the stuff that you expect with modern gaming. And everyone's saying in here, it's like, this looks better than Duke Nukem Forever. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> it, does. it definitely does. Yeah. Which I know that game got a load of hate. You know when it came out? I played it right through it. I didn't mind it, actually. But I think it's probably because... I, I did love Duke Nukem 3D. Yeah. I've never been like a f- hardcore fanboy of the series. So I wasn't like, you know, waiting 20 years for the game that came out, then devastated. Cause well, it was also like he was a very non politically correct character. And by the time it bloody came out, <laughs> the yeah. whole politics times had changed had, yeah, around. Times, times had, had changed. Moved on, yeah. Maybe if it had been five, six years before, yeah. it would have been successful. But. It, it just seemed old and dated, you know. The real question is, did you buy it for full price, Dan? No, I didn't. I got it for six pounds. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but I like old and dated things. You know? That's yeah, why I do yeah. this podcast. Uh, but yeah, getting Duke Nukem 3D updated, and this is actually free as well. So all you need is the, uh, the Serious Sam engine. I think there's like an engine you download of Steam. Yeah. It's pretty cheap, and then you install this on there. Um, so I'll link all the detail up in our show notes. If you're a Duke Nukem fan, it does look incredible. And interestingly, Serious Sam is probably one of the best things on VR at the moment. Okay. Well, yeah. talking about VR, actually, uh, before we get into the Q&A, your questions that we are going to answer. Ooh, Ooh. some nervous looks in the room. <laughs> Honest answers. Got to give you any time to think as well. You've got to say first. Just go straight for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So might be a bit of editing in this week's show. <laughs> Slander anybody. <laughs> uh, before we get into that, what's going to be a bit of an interesting experiment this week, I think, let's give a huge thank you to a big supporter of the Retro Hour podcast, our very good friends at The Economist. Now, you know The Economist is a really trustworthy source. They've got over 170 years of providing intelligent articles here in the UK and they sift through all the noise that we find in the modern world, pick out the essential information and tell you the real story. Now, they cover so much in there too. I mean, you've got world politics, business, science, technology, and of course, video games. Now, this week, you've been finding um, some interesting stuff in there about virtual reality. Yeah, it's interesting because I've actually got a a Vive at home and I hardly use it anymore. You know, they've released this wireless kit and it's like, can I really be bothered? Um, The whole thing is really interesting because they're saying, you know, VR's now affordable. It's now to the level that the headsets are getting smaller. You don't need the huge PC, but people aren't buying it and they're not putting it going to be putting it in their Christmas stockings this Christmas. And it's kind of cuz they've not had the killer app. It's the development's been really weird. They they're like experiences, they're not kind of full games and you know, we've kind of waited for it for so long. Now we've got it. No one kind of cares anymore. Well, I remember you know that, uh, that, that virtuality thing that you you were playing at Retro Computer Museum the other day, the, the very early. There's video actually of you on YouTube playing it at yeah, yeah. as well. And this was the one that came out in the early 90s. Mm. Big headset. We've played that pterodactyl game on it. And I remember playing that in like arcades in about 1992, 93. And you had to pay about three quid to have a go on it. But even then, I thought, you know, um, this is going to be out of home soon. Is it going to change gaming? And you read about it in all the magazines in the mid-90s, how VR is going to be the next big thing. Then it kind of vanished for like a couple of decades. I think maybe in America where you've got guys, like I've been listening to a lot of tech podcasts, and there's a lot of people out there that kind of have huge rooms and spaces. So they can have the huge room with... The sensors out there, they can free roam, they can invite four of their mates around and they can all have a huge VR thing. That does have fun. In Britain... You've got a In Britain, we've got like a very small spare room <laughs> with all these sensors. It's not going to work. And we, we actually do have this thing called Zero Latency in Nottingham, which is a full free yeah. roam yeah. VR thing. So I think that might be a bit of the future, but domestically at home, you know, it's... A, 
and like you said, it's cheaper than ever. You can get VR on your phone now. And like, yeah. I, I've got an Oculus Go, but again, I used it twice, and I'm like, it's been in the cupboard since. So, <laughs> you got me to use it once. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, you got it. Cool. You came round when I first yeah, got it, yeah, but it's, yeah. I haven't used it since. You got you're P- right PSVR yeah, as well. I haven't yeah. used that for about a year. Yeah, think. yeah. My, my Vive just sits there. Yeah. Well, this article examines, you know, kind of why VR may have failed and the reasons that the the market maybe hasn't taken off quite as much as they wanted it to. For me, I think VR it's a bit like 3D is in cinema or television. Something they'll bring out every couple of decades when they want to get a bit more money and then... Yeah, just something they're going to try and kind of like hype up every decade. Kind of sits around for two, three years and it just kind of fizzles out again. And then a decade later it comes out again. (laughs) I'm sure we haven't seen the last of VR. No, we haven't. We've just not seen the killer app. No. Uh, So this is the kind of thing you can read about in The Economist and we would love to give you a free copy of The Economist through your door. Now, if you live in the UK, all you have to do is grab your phone right now, do this for us, text the word retro and send it to 78070. Not only will that really support this podcast, but also you will get a completely free copy of The Economist dropping through your door into your letterbox. And all you have to do is text the word retro and send it to 78070 with The Economist, the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Right then, hold on to your butts, boys. Are you ready for the q and I'm nervous. I told you this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm ready. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast from right now. We're doing something a little bit different on this week's show. We're letting you interview us. Now, this week, we've actually put it on our socials over the last couple of days. Any questions that you've got for us guys here? Maybe retro gaming advice. Maybe, you know, we don't claim to be experts. Maybe we can help you out with something. Maybe something about how we put the show together. Maybe something about our collections. We've been putting it out there. We had a load of response, actually, on this. Way more than we thought. So we really appreciate that, guys. And, you know, if this turns out to be a successful episode... Might make it a semi-regular thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're going to ask the questions, but yeah. you're also going to answer some of them, Dan, as well. You're not getting away with this. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't think anyone <laughs> realised. <laughs> right well, let's start from the first one we had, and this is of Cy Martin. He goes, hey, Dan and Ravi and Joe, if you could be any game character, then who would it be? I'd be Lara Croft. <laughs> I'd be Lara Croft. Oh, my days. Why? Just because I'd be a babe, I could shoot tigers and climbing things and push rocks and beat up my butler the, re- <laughs> the reality of it is if we were to just become video game characters we'd probably both be lemmings <laughs> um, but I was, I was going to say Lara Croft as well yeah it's a good one yeah even though it's a female character I'd totally be up for being Lara yeah, yeah that's crazy she's so kick ass make this podcast a bit more enjoyable to look over at Lara Croft as well yeah, yeah it would <laughs> wouldn't it, definitely yeah. I'll change my answer he'll go with Lara Croft I'll go with Goro from Mortal Kombat <laughs> <laughs> just, just so I've got four Arms. That'd be handy when you're making the tea upstairs. Exactly. Really, really well, what about buff. you, Dan? I think I'd be Guybrush Threepwood. Oh, yeah. Yes, or yeah, Monkey yeah. Island, yeah. Oh, like yeah. He's, he's not the smartest guy, but yeah, he's got attitude. Just like you. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> it. that's me all over. Thank you, Sai, for your question. Uh, actually, speaking of Guybrush Threepwood, a guy here called Deckhard Threepwood, who's been in touch, he goes, he's asked three questions, actually. He goes, What retro machines do you still play and how often? What's your favourite machine and your favourite multiplayer game? So, which machine do you still play and how often most, Sanjay? Oh, I still play my... So we're just talking retro machines. Um, I still play Sega Saturn, Super Nintendo, and Sega Mega Drive, and probably PS2. They're probably the ones I play the most, but I do have all of my systems still set up. What's your favourite out of those, then, would you say? Tough one. That. When people ask it's you that, what's your favourite? Mine is. changes by the day. It's a real <laughs> tough one. I think Sega Saturn is probably the most interesting for me. Like, I, I have a lot of love for that, but... It's a toss-up between the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive. I think I've got more nostalgia for the Mega Drive, but I think I do prefer to play the SNES. 
Bradley? Um, I emulate a lot, so I've got all my emulators set up. Um, I still use Amiga quite a bit, and I'd say my favourite system, though, is probably the PlayStation 1, because it just had that period of time when everything was getting 3D, and I found that really exciting, even though it's still controlled with the D-pad, yeah. <laughs> and it's still kind of chunkly <laughs> moving yeah. around, the camera angles aren't right, I still love it. And um, multiplayer-wise, I'd probably say Worms is oh, yeah, yeah. the best yeah. game, but no one plays it with me anymore. So. We always play GoldenEye, Ranjo. Yeah, we always play tour. GoldenEye. We'll yeah, play yeah. Worms next time for yeah. Ravi. Yeah, yeah. Next Christmas stream, we're going yeah. to do it. Um, for me, I mean, I kind of change. I mean, I've talked about this on the show before. What I'll generally do is, because I've got a load of consoles, I'll normally set one up. Mm. I leave it there for a week or two. Play it, then put it away in the cupboard. Get another yeah. one out and play that for a couple of weeks. So yeah, last week I was playing on Saturn actually. I did oh, that for you? a couple of weeks. And my PS One set up before that. Mm. Um, my Jaguar, you know, obviously my love for the Jag. <laughs> um, so yeah, it kind of varies for me. I'm a CDI set up actually for a week recently. Oh really? Um, so I bought a load of games for my CDI. Or oh, my Stag do actually, which was like what, two and a half years ago now. <laughs> I only just got round to actually playing oh, them really? about two okay. weeks ago. So. You bought a few at the last. Um... The last retro event we were at, actually. Yeah, um, I, I got one called Voice Before Year. Remember that one? Yeah, that, I do remember that. It's one. a late night game for your Ooh. CDI, if CDI <laughs> fans. It's actually got a lipstick on the uh, on the front cover and a lot of kids. So I put my headphones on, played that late at night. I won't go into any more detail. It's not multiplayer, though. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, picking favourite machine for me is I like, know what your multiplayer game is, Dan. Well, uh, micro machine. Micro machine. I didn't say mine. I, I didn't really. I, I, I didn't, answered your behalf, didn't I? You just micro machines. <laughs> there we go. Golden no, gold, eye, yeah. uh, probably golden eye. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, cheers for the question. And the next one is from our Discord channel, Simulant, who's um, one of our you know big supporters in Discord, isn't he? Yeah, very one? nice guy. Uh, Simulant Systems, check them out. Now he says, "I'd like to know any cool things that you guys currently use retro tech for." Now we know about Dan's awesome printer for his wedding invites. Now, if you missed that episode, this is where, before my wedding, I needed to print out, you know, the little table cards? Yeah. And I couldn't get them printed out on my main printer. I've got like an Epson laser mm, printer. Mm. It just couldn't get the alignment right. And I thought, I need something. Kind of like an old school typewriter where I can put it to the exact mark, print out, and I thought, hang on, I've got an old bubble jet printer from the 90s in the garage. <laughs> and I used to do that when I used it for school. Yeah. You know, printing forms and all yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, forged bus tickets, actually. Nice. I'm getting in trouble for that now, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought... Can I use that for my wedding table display? So I did it and actually worked fine. So he's asking about maybe interesting stuff. Ravi obviously got your Amiga decks. He said, does Joe use a Commodore 64 as a controller for his morning tea made? <laughs> no, I don't, unfortunately. Um, that's a really interesting question, and I'm quite disappointed that I can't think of any sort of like retro tech other than entertainment, you know, retro games and stuff. But I've kind I actually of use. come by modern and old school, so I've got this old radio. And I bought a cheap Bluetooth module for like £12 off eBay and then hooked it up to the speaker. And then with my phone, I can stream podcasts onto the old school 60s well, listen, radio. Listen through the original speaker. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. yeah. That's pretty cool. Just soldering direct with a little £12 board. It's pretty good. You point. know, I've always wanted to do, and I saw a guy on one of the forums the other day, he'd hooked up an Arduino as a weather station. And then he's controlling it with like an, I think it was like an Amiga or a Mac or something. I can't remember which machine it was. But I've always wanted to have a weather station. You know, there's quite a lot of Raspberry Pi and Arduino weather stations that you can actually access that are based in public. We'll yeah. get into that another time. <laughs> uh, so thanks for your question. And the next one is from Adano101, uh, again from our Discord. It goes, what are your biggest tech project failures? For example, have you ever blown up a machine by accident? Um, I, I deleted my mum's whole PhD 
um, <laughs> when she was she was doing a PhD, wow. and I decided to take the PC apart because I wanted to see what it did, <laughs> and then I put it back together, and nothing worked. Nothing again. worked. Yeah, I was hanging out with Ravi's mum. That sounded wrong the way I worded that. <laughs> we, we were all hanging out with Ravi's mum the other week, and she said she listens to the podcast. Have you ever admitted that it was you that deleted that? Oh book? yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a le- legendary story in my family when oh, Ravi deleted days. the PhD. I was going to say if you're not here next week, we know why. <laughs> I blew up, I may mention this on the show before, I've owned a ZX Spectrum for all of 10 minutes. Mm. So I got one, I think it must have been about 1992, 93. Yeah. Um, a lady my mum worked with, she said, oh, your boy's into computers. I think a, a kid had just gone off to like uni or something. And she gave me a Spectrum Plus 2. And me, like a young kid, not really understanding all that much about how things work, I saw that the connector for the power supply was exactly the same as the one from my printer. Mm. So being lazy, thinking, oh, I can't be bothered going back of the desk. You didn't check the polarity. That'll fit. Plugged it in. <laughs> Bang! Yeah, so that was my uh, my 10 minutes of earning a spectrum. Oh, dear. Um, I've got two, uh, both involving Nintendo GameCube. Okay. Uh, first one, I just had uh, the original, my original GameCube controller just started like leering to the left. So whenever I played a game, everything was kind of leering to the left. So I thought, I was about 12 years old, I'll take this apart. I've, I've, <laughs> I know how to fix this. Took it apart, not a clue what I was looking at. Put it back together, and then my L and R buttons didn't work and just completely destroyed the controller <laughs> trying to put it back together. Um, and then the only other one I could think of was I, same GameCube, um, I used to have it up on like a top shelf. And once, like when I was about fifteen, when it was still my main console, I pulled the controller too hard, and it just fell off the top shelf, completely wiped out, completely smashed the GameCube on the floor. All the memory cards in the front of it snapped. Oh, as well. oh god! Just completely wipe out. And they're built so, tough as well. Them they're built things, tough they? as well. I can yeah. see your pain, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a painful moment. He's got like Vietnam flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it really well. <laughs> it was like, oh no. <laughs> you, know, you talk about taking things apart. I used to do it all the time. Yeah. I was a bugger for doing that when I was a kid. I remember once, like, my mum and dad had like gone into the room and they were in the kitchen. I was in the living room and there's a screwdriver there. So I unplugged the video recorder. I thought, I wonder how this works. Nice. Took it a bit and all these cogs just came out and everything. So I put the lid back on later on. My mum's like, the video's not working. I'm like, <laughs> you, you know, the best suggestion I saw was if you have a kid like that, um, Jerry Ellsworth got interviewed and she said basically her dad would just make a box of electronics for her to take apart yeah, yeah. so it'd be <laughs> like right you take those apart don't take <laughs> apart my good stuff yeah uh, dave moore's been in touch as well he goes who would you most like to have on the podcast either dead or alive that's a good i think you know talking talking people that are not here anymore i think for me jack tramiel and steve jobs they'd be amazing to talk to yeah I, actually i'd quite like steve barmer yeah um, <laughs> because barmer's a nutter and um he was kind of the the guy behind the zune yeah. project so i'd love to talk to him about zune and how what were you thinking? And, and he was very focused on microsoft being all about enterprise 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 Developers. open source will kill us and now it's all open source so i'd love to kind of see barmer's perspective on and didn't he laugh at the iphone as well yeah i yeah. think so no one's gonna buy that but <laughs> <laughs> you do would you like to speak to on the podcast um it's a bit of a uh, kind of like a um cliche one but i'd probably go for james rolf the yeah. video game nerd just because for me, he was like, you know, that kind of like 2006, 2007 where he really took off. Yeah, yeah. That was what really got me back into like playing Sega and SNES and stuff. So I was, I was still pretty young at the time. I was like 16, 17. And that was like my first real steps into YouTube um, and that kind of like, you know, like MySpace and stuff like that. And that was the first kind of person I followed with any of that. And I still, to this day, still watch all of his videos. Um 
so I think that one is a little bit like of a like a dream come true. Even though he's not like a he's not like a massive celebrity or anything, but I think that would be really interesting. Well, hang around, Joe. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah we'll see what happens. I might not invite him in on that one. Uh, <laughs> we, we are we are currently having chats. <laughs> and he also says, see, actually, second question for him: How about doing a desert island discs like Radio Four show with your favourite in-game music? It's actually, our friend Neil does a podcast like that. Yeah, right? so re- retro island discs. If yeah. you haven't heard that, and that's pretty cool because he'll get people on and they'll say, "What's your?" favourite game soundtrack but, you're on that uh, one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've done one of those and I can't remember the tunes that I picked probably Lemmings <laughs> <laughs> non-stop Lemmings yeah yeah Tim Wright or Wipeout or something like that and Marjay yesterday kind of following on from that last one actually he goes have you got a guest that is a great white whale one you're forever seeking but just can't get and also do you have a guest that you're still surprised you've got on the show now I would love Clive Sinclair to come on but he doesn't do very many interviews at all these days um, he's a guy that I, I'd love to get his story. And Chris Curry as well, who um the founder of Acorn, I think he'd be a really interesting guest. And, you know, I think he's a bit more accessible than Clive. Clive does very rarely does interviews these days. And guess what we're surprised we got on? Nolan Bushnell coming on for our 100th. Yeah, I was yeah. like, it took about six months worth of work to get him on, but we did it. As, as I mentioned earlier, Ken Silverman would be great. Uh, I messaged him, but he says he only does text interviews. So maybe I'll put a text one out there one day, but yeah. oh, he's... Just such a pivotal character in FPS. I'd oh, love to have we him could, on. We could get Joe to act it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just spoken <laughs> word. Yeah. Monologuing here. I'll be up for that. <laughs> Robocop's dad, he goes, Hey guys, it would be good to hear the answers behind the basic tribal retro gaming questions. SNES or Mega Drive, he says. Mega Drive. Mega Drive. I kind of answered it earlier on SNES, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> Sega fanboys are now hating you. I know, Jeff, I am it? a Sega yeah. fanboy, but I think I think it just depends what day you catch me. So right now, Snares, ask me again next week and I'll say Sega Mega Drive. Sat on a PlayStation. 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 Ooh, I should say the PlayStation. I've actually enjoyed playing the Saturn a hell of a lot. Recently. I do. Again, I, you see, it, once yeah. again, I love the Saturn. It's just really interesting, but PlayStation, I guess, that's the you one see, I See, I had a weird experience with the Saturn because I kind of didn't have it at the time and I know you say there's a lot of Japanese and 2D titles, but then... Yeah. I'd kind of come from the PlayStation view where I went back and looked at it and it felt a bit less. Yeah. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm, with the, I'm the same. I only ever played the Saturn a little bit when it was actually out. Um, it, it really is a console that I've picked up and played as an adult. So yeah, yeah. that's why I've gone for PS1. It's weird though because it's like, it depends how you want to think of this question. If like someone said, you're going to a desert island, you can either take a PlayStation or a Saturn, I'd probably pick the PlayStation. But if you said right yeah. now, what do you want to play? I'd probably rather sit down the Saturn. Yeah, I find the Saturn more interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think uh, absolutely. If it was like if you wanted to take twenty games to a desert island, PS One games, you'd be like, oh, I'll take this, 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 this boom, twenty. You said, oh, you want to take twenty Sega Saturn games? You'd probably think of like four or five. But you're like, I really like those games, and then you'll be like, oh, I don't know what else. And then you'll probably add a few Dreamcast ones and get confused. Yeah, like, you know? so, yeah, exactly. Um, Amiga or Atari? We don't even have to answer. No, Let's move on. <laughs> uh, next one's from uh, X and Matty goes, Daddy or chips? <laughs> Um, <laughs> chips. No, no, sorry, Dad. <laughs> Everyone outside of the UK is about like, what the heck? This is an advert that was on TV. A little yeah, girl yeah, about to pick. It's about yeah. a, a silly sort. I love my dad, but yeah, always room for chips. Uh, next one's from uh, Old Game Fanboy on Twitter. This is an interesting one. He goes, Do you guys think that the retro collecting bubble is going to burst anytime soon or a price is going to continue to rise? Interesting, because I, I think systems get popular. So, like, at the moment, there seems to be a real focus again on. Atari 400 and 800, when before it was all 2600. And 
I don't know. Is this going to last? Are people going to really want this in the future? I think they will as physicality uh, runs out, you know. I think it will carry on. This is a question I think has been asked for the past decade now. Um, you know, in every couple of years or so, you'll see it in like a mainstream news article or something. And I think it will just carry on. I don't think it's... I think I think it will take hits every now and then. Like you know, you do see this kind of like fluctuation in something, in certain games and stuff. But I think it will just carry on rising. Are they the antiques of the future? That's the other question you always see as well. Yeah, Yeah. the antiques of the future. I don't think, maybe not in our time, maybe in the next time. (laughs) Well, retro is always going to keep evolving, though, isn't it? What is retro to us is not retro to like a twenty-year-old. Yeah, you know. So like now, you look at my little nephew Harry. The Nintendo Switch will be. His retro in like twenty years when he's yeah. twenty. I could just think of thirty years. We're going to be like, oh, do you remember Fortnite? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it sounds hilarious. It's like that Peter K thing, isn't it? You yeah. know, what's it going to be like in the future? Or put a bit of basement jacks on for your granddad. It yeah. Won't be like, yeah, 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 yeah. It will. But it's like you know, retro laws keep evolving. The th- thing is, we'll probably will get to a point where gaming systems become just streaming services, and then they're not going to be collectibles anymore. So maybe we're coming to the end of what will be considered retro in the future mm. you know now so interesting question in terms of prices going down i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon no. if anything they're going the other way aren't they yeah so uh ross burnett's been in touch he goes everyone who collects retro has got a regret story because i've got many that could actually fill a whole episode of yours what's your retro regret story i've got a couple i can think of straight away first of all was when i just after university moved in with my mates was getting into going out in a djing and all that i actually threw out two Amiga 1200s, put them in the bin. A Commodore 16 I put in the bin as well. Um, pretty much all my systems that I had, I've actually re-bought them all since. But all my original systems, yeah, I just tossed them in the bin. Weren't worth anything to me at the time. So that's quite a big regret. I had a, a free Amiga 4000s. I've never said this before, but two of them I I put free in the cupboard. I'd come back a few years later. I'd not snipped the batteries out. The acid And I absolutely destroyed two Amiga 4000s and ch- just chucked them out. Why didn't I keep the spare parts and everything? Oh, it's silly. We're going to get massacred at Amiga yeah, yeah, Germany. Like 800 quid each now. What about you, Joe? Have you ever thrown anything out or missed no, out on something? I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm quite um, anal when it comes to like throwing stuff away like that. So um, for me... There's only like one regret, regret which comes to mind recently, which was um, I gave a copy of Super Metroid away to another punter at the most recent video game market at Doncaster Dome uh, <laughs> because if he was like, oh my god, I've been after that game for so long, and I'm gonna be honest, I was I already have it. It was just because it was so cheap. I found it in that you know one of these bargain bins at the bottom. I was like, I love that. And I was holding on to it. And the guy was like, oh my God, are you buying that? I was like, yeah. And then he tried to make, he tried to tell me it was fake. And I was like, I knew it wasn't fake. And then eventually I was like, you know what? He gave me a sub story. And I was like, you have it because I'm, I'm only buying it just to have two copies of he, it. He needed it more. You're a good man. Isn't he lovely? Yeah. And it's good Samaritan we work with. Him. After that, you, <laughs> after that, I was kind of like, why did I do that? Like, <laughs> he wouldn't have done that for me. Um, but really, the only other thing is I wish I could go back in time and slap my mum all my Game Boy Advance uh, game boxes. Oh, no way. And all my N64 game boxes. She threw them all away in the bin, gone. I was staying at my dad's for the weekend because my dad had me every weekend. Came home one day, went in the cupboard, everything gone. Just cartridges stacked up. My mum was like, oh, I've taken up too much room. 
and she still doesn't live it down to the state. It still comes up every year. That It'd be the best does. episode of Back to the Future, Joe. Just coming back, <laughs> Mum, stop. It's just, me. <laughs> it's just me going back to like 2003. And just like... No. <laughs> yeah, my mum actually, when, when I turned about 13 and we moved house, I had, you know, the real Ghostbusters. I had everything, all the toys yeah. in the collection. Must have about 100, 150 of them. She, you know, she threw them all out as well. Go, oh, you're a teenager now, you don't need them. Yeah. I show the prices on eBay today. I go, Mum, that was your pension paid for, you know. Getting a penny out of me now. Not even my mum anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Retro Recollections, he's been in touch as well. What game have you played or bought and found to be the most overrated? Ooh. Oh, God. I remember getting Rise of the Robots for Christmas. Um, obviously, legendary, awful mm. game. And yeah, Christmas Day. I remember all the hype leading up to that game. And you remember, I remember even like Bad Influence on TV changed their intro to be the robots because it was going to be that big a game and reading all the hype in the magazines and seeing VG and stuff like that. Got it Christmas Day. To be fair, I didn't hate it as much as kind of everyone says. It just seemed like a a pretty but average beat-em-up game. I'd but. say probably every single Amiga game after Worms. <laughs> they were all massively hyped and they were all really bad. <laughs> I think for me, uh, Gran Turismo for the PS1. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I love that. No, can't... St- Stand Gran Turismo games. Somebody's probably going to try and hand me one now at the next event. <laughs> uh, I can't stand the Gran Turismo games. I hate them. Really, really don't enjoy them. Any reason why? Um, you can't pass the license. There is a. St- there, yeah, I, I don't drive. No, I do drive. But um, there is a story behind it where my brother sold all our Mega Drive games, quite a big batch of Mega Drive games, and I was about six, seven years old to buy the first Gran Turismo. I was really upset about it. And my mum was like, oh, I'm sure you'll let you play it and all this. And I played it and I couldn't stand it. Yeah. Like, I was like, obviously there was like hatred there straight away. But I was into, you know, your kart races, you know, Mario Kart, your fun, your, you know, I didn't want to, your arcade races, like Sega Rally and stuff like that. It's like, I don't want to play a realistic, you know, kind of driving experience. And I, Actually, and I still don't, you know what I mean? So You reminded me of one, which was the first really one of my favourite games was Die Hard Trilogy on the PlayStation. And when Die Hard Trilogy 2 came out, another company had got the licence or something, and it was absolutely awful. I haven't played Die Hard Trilogy 2. It's really bad. You can hardly drive on it or anything. It's awful. Yeah, and we do that for arcade races, like Ridge Racer and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than simulators. Uh, David Jenkins, he goes, what's your favourite video game failure, hardware or software? Uh, Obviously for me, the Atari Jaguar, you know, goes to that saying. Maybe the Dreamcast. Yeah. yeah. Te- technically, I mean, today, because the Dreamcast gets so much love now, yeah. it's hard to think about it as a failure. I was, it was. shocked when we did the uh, the Christmas quiz a few years back, and it was like, what was the the worst commercial failure like out of all these consoles? And I just straight away was like, Wii U. It's yeah. got to be. You know, it was the Dreamcast. I was like, yeah. I was bl- <laughs> my mind was blown, so. I, I think the Virtual Boy, just because it, they messed it up so badly, yeah. is, is kind of beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's that weird thing between VR and just, what is it? VR and migraines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Bleasdale, which of you would win in a fight? Uh, talking about Street Fighter Turbo Edition on the SNES, I'm thinking. Not actual oh, J- Joe Turbo. would beat us all up. I was going to say, actual <laughs> physical fisticuffs, you know. And on Street Fighter 2, to be fair, I think Joe, Joe I would beat us I was going to go for Ravi, but yeah, maybe me for Street Fighter 2. I don't think either of you have ever beaten me off on that. No, on no. On a uh, fighting game. Like, I, I kicked your butt on Mortal Kombat the other week when we were in uh, that, that No, you didn't. I, I'm sure I did. At least one round or two. <laughs> I was a bit tired that night. Yeah, I yeah. demand a rematch. Okay. <laughs> uh, Simon Joel, he goes, Sensible World of Soccer 95 to 96, which I think came out after 
that game you said a moment ago. What was that again? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> worms, uh, worms, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, 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 Sensible Wood, a soccer game early, that was just an update. Okay. It goes, the best footy game ever. Did you play that game much? Yes, and I even got to the point that I would download well, not download, I get cover discs with the latest rosters on them and update them for the teams of the day and I'd actually be playing with them. And they're still doing the rosters for it as well we've in got Germany. A secret, we've got a secret sports fan over here, haven't oh, we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just sensible soccer was so good. It was good. that good. Yeah, you had yeah. to get the real league players. Yeah, I wasn't even into football at yeah. the time, but just playing it was it's great. Uh, Mark Richardson, he goes, who, <laughs> who was the most awkward guest or games industry person you've had to deal with? I don't think we've already had anyone on the show. No, I think everybody's been really lovely, yeah. actually. Um, we've we've had a few interviews where kind of when we started, we found out that what we'd do is we'd go, all right, we're doing the interview, so straight, go straight away. Don't and people would be like, uh, uh, and a bit confused and they wouldn't have time to warm up. But when we talk to people for like 10, 10 minutes, have a nice little chat before and just get get into a bit of a flow before the interview, I find it goes a, a lot better. Well, that's the thing with doing this, because like, we come in here and talk. You know, we're in, we, we do this in a proper radio studio, and we're in here talking into broadcast microphones. You do YouTube, you're on camera and stuff like that. But often, because we're so used to doing it, you can sometimes forget that to a lot of people, it's a bit intimidating being on mic or on camera. And when we first started doing this, I mean, we were all a bit like, you listen, to, not that I ever want to hear them again, but listen to our early shows. Which Hello, are, welcome yeah, to the <laughs> retro. Yeah. So it's something that, I mean, Joe used to shake when he first came in here. Oh so, yeah, definitely. Then, yeah. Then I used to here. sit there researching the stuff that we're going to talk about. Like, oh God. No. <laughs> Just wing yeah, it. Wing the whole thing. Wing yeah. the whole don't thing. Even, don't even look at the stories. <laughs> uh, Bill Rooney, he goes, this is one for me and you, I guess, Ravi. If you could bring back the Amiga brand and money is no object... Which company or dream team would you get to do this and why? And would you want a computer or a console? Hmm. If I could, <laughs> if it, which dream team or company? God. Okay, for me, RJ Michael would have to be involved. Oh, oh so you can use the old school. Anyone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got RJ Michael on Trevor, because I think he's done so much recently. Trevor Dickinson. Mike from Cloanto, who's been great with the brand recently. Got to get David Pleasance involved as well. Definitely those four guys would be on my list i'd probably get low uh new world hackers and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of those guys uh, yeah i don't know I, i'm not that into kind of modern stuff so i wouldn't know who the who the modern dream teams are i suppose people might refer to zuckerberg as being part of the dream team but it's more the nightmare team for me yeah <laughs> you'd, you'd want bill gates to run it wouldn't you Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Giles Cudmore, should there be a time limit, as with music, when copyrights expire so anyone can redo a game, i.e. Mario could be released as a Rockstar game? I'm going to say no. I'm not, I'm not keen on that. I, It'd be so, interesting, but I, wouldn't, I don't think it would Because it's like 40 years, isn't it, or 30 years that music then becomes royalty-free. So, like, if you use green sleeves in your YouTube video, you're not going to get taken down. And know? it's 80 for print, print works, isn't it, for I books? Think so, I think so, something like that. Yeah. I think maybe if it's been that long, there's got to be a time when maybe stuff does go into the public domain, because a lot of old movies are now. I know often you hear stories about how Walt Disney will do re-releases and that to renew the copyright, that kind of thing. Well, if you think about the, how long the video game industry is, actually, it's yeah, not, even, years, yeah. not even that time yet. So, yeah. you know. I think, yeah, maybe at some point in the future when I think if they're not active franchises and no one's earning money off them or you can't get them anywhere else, maybe. I mean, you know, 
I don't think there's going to be any harm with like, you know, we did an episode about Mastertronic the other week, yeah. a, a two-pound Spectrum game that was on sale for like a year in 1984. If that becomes copyright free in like 70 years... You wouldn't probably, be opposed to it coming yeah. out again. Or maybe it when like, you put it uh, like that, but when you think straight away the example there, like, Mario. oh, Mario on a Rockstar <laughs> game, you're like, absolutely not. Yeah. But I guess when you put it like that, like, yeah. But maybe it'd be like sampling, so you pay a little bit of royalties. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. If they can release the official Secrets Act after so many years, then they can do it with games. <laughs> we can do it with Monty on the run. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, James Dunn, have you ever been turned down for an interview for the podcast? All the time. All the time, yeah. yeah. Quite a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people are busy in the industry. Um, a lot of people just don't want to talk on radio. Some yeah. really, really um, wonderful people that have previously done interviews. Uh, nowadays with the kind of interesting environment we have in the retro scene and uh, online trolling and stuff. Uh, A lot of people have been put off coming on podcasts and stuff. So it all depends on the person, I say. Chris Folds, the best chippy in Nottingham. Woolerton Fish Bar, right? No, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Giorgio's on Snenton Dale. Pancho's, mate, Pancho's. <laughs> <laughs> Pancho's for life. I'm not a big fish and chip eater, um, but we, there's a quite nice one in West Bridgeford. That's something I to go to near... Um, just as you come into West Bridgeford, this is going to be nothing to anyone that's never been no, to Nottingham. No, yeah, right? yeah. And even like our American viewers are probably, probably what, what's a chippy? <laughs> Fish and chip shop we're talking about here. Um, healthy British food. Uh, Chris Hull, he goes, what was the best bargain buy you got offered and turned down and then kicked yourself after? Now, to, bargains, I remember you getting that um, honeybee controller for the CD32 for like a fiver. Yeah, yeah, but good. I think I was offered like a power PC card back in the days for about 100 quid or something. And no. I was like, nah don't need that no. I don't turn down an offer I, yeah. I'll snap their arm off yeah. yeah I can't think of any um, I don't really think of any like oh my god I wish I'd bought that and then didn't I've probably just mentioned one in previous questions <laughs> to be honest without the uh, the Metroid Super Metroid one but um, that's the only one that comes to mind but like like you just said I usually just pick them up straight away Yeah, there's been a few times where it's like you're there too late if you know what I mean Yeah, uh, there was a time about 15 years ago where me and my friend went up to game station and they just got like all their retro stuff in. And we managed to get a few bits, but there was a guy called Brian who was like our nemesis at the moment. Bloody Brian. And he was there already and he literally bought like 10 copies of Ocarina of Time, five copies of A Link to the Past, <laughs> you know, uh, two copies of Metal Gear for the NES. And they were all like two pounds, three pounds, you know when those games just like weren't anything and couldn't give them away yeah. and this guy was just like buying everything and he was like order from my own personal collection it's just like yeah yeah and then he kind of like we saw him around again the, the local retro shops again a couple of years later and he was like oh check out my ebay shop lads like yeah all right mate. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> so brian if you're listening so yeah that's probably my if i was only a couple of minutes earlier kind of thing <laughs> you could have an ebay shop now, yeah <laughs> Um, David Jenkins, what's your gaming guilty pleasure? For example, a game that's widely re- regarded as crap that you've got a soft spot for. I mean, for me, we've actually played this on a video before, Captain Planet on the Amiga, which is, I got it with my Cartoon Classics pack, Christmas 91. Um, most people regard it as an awful game, but it's so nostalgic for me that I really enjoy playing it. And Altered Beast, and everyone hates on that game, but me and my brother used to hammer that at the arcades. Yeah, I, love I'm not, I quite like Altered Beast. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few which I think are really odd, like Donkey Kong 64. I see like random bits of hate for that on the internet. Oh, it wasn't as good as Banjo Kazooie. I love Donkey Kong 64. Um, 
there's a few Mega Drive ones like Maximum Carnage for the Mega Drive. I see a lot of people hate on that. Once again, I'm very nostalgic for that, so I always enjoyed enjoyed that game. Do you remember one for them? It was Mega Drive and Amiga. It was Dennis. It was like oh, yeah. it, it, where, where, when they redid Dennis and they had oh, the yeah. little blonde kid. That was quite a fun game. I enjoyed Dennis, yeah, and the music was quite cool. Good little platform, right? Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I liked it. And obviously everything on the Atari Jaguar. It's, yes. It's, it's, it's <laughs> get out there. Um, Jason, he goes, what's the one thing you wish you knew before starting the podcast? Before we started this, what, three and a half years ago? How much work it would be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, how much work doing a weekly yeah. <laughs> podcast would be how compared to, to a monthly? How much yeah. I'd have to hang out with Ravi and Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's Because, you know, you, you, we listen to this and we get, we get comments, people going, you know, you guys make it sound effortless, which is a big compliment. Because, I mean... So you think put doing a show like this every week? I mean, God, some weeks you can do about thirty hours work maybe on, on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. By the time you've got guests researching everything, and bearing in mind, I mean, Ravi and I especially we're freelance workers, so that's like good few days unpaid work. And, really and, awake, yeah. and if we didn't have that kind of tough drive and passion for games, yeah. I, I think setting ourselves a weekly podcast was quite a high agenda, and like it was quite like wow doing that, but we've managed to maintain it and I guess that drive kind of kept us going now the community and stuff and other stuff's keeping us going but uh, I kind of I wish I'd said to myself there will be reward <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> it will be worth it in the end you know isn't this reward enough Ravi yeah it's, it's adoration it's great. from your fans uh, Ryan he goes number one favourite game for each of you now again this is something that changes by the day for me so it's a pretty hard one if I just had to put, pick one out the air now that something I'd love to play right now Lemmings I've always got to say is one of my all time favourite Syndicates games. by far yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the first kind of free roam that I ever had in a game where you can walk around a city steal cars shoot police yeah. officers do what you want like you say it changes daily right now there's like free just like and I, I, I feel like I'll go for Streets of Rage 2. Yeah, yeah. Because that'll probably get the least hate. <laughs> I'd be disappointed if you... What were the other two out of... Out of uh, um, Bubsy 3D. <laughs> Bubsy 3D, Earthworm Jim 3D, Sonic Jam. No, um, probably <laughs> Black Ops for the Xbox 360. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind a bit of code. And then for a more modern one, probably Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. But they, they were a little bit more modern, so mm-hmm. I went for Streets of Rage 2. Good choice. Uh, Mark Gibson, I'd like to know what each of you have got in your collection. Oh, I've got a huge CD32 collection, which I'm slowly growing, but uh, can't get that much. And my other systems I've sold. Uh, so, like, I've got still a nice little PlayStation collection, though, with Die Hard Trilogy, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is really good fun on the uh, <laughs> PlayStation, and uh, uh, a few games like Pandemonium and Pandemonium 2. Uh, some of the early PlayStation titles, Micro yeah. Machines V3. Yeah, yeah. As well. I've got a lot of stuff. I mean, I've probably got about, I think we've tried to work this out, probably about 80 systems, maybe. <laughs> wow. Pretty much all, like, yeah. most of the 8-bit systems that came out in the UK, getting there anyway, maybe three I need to get. Um, most of the 16-bit systems I've got. Everything of Sega apart from, like, the, you know, the main Sega console yeah, came over here, yeah. like the SG. Yeah, most most Atari consoles, most all Nintendo ones, apart from the Virtual Boy. When's yeah. the museum opening? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the only system I play for those are Jaguar, um, yeah. but I have got yeah, pretty much any mainstream console or computer that's come out since the early eighties. I've got in my collection. I've got quite a big collection. Not many people have seen it. I'm slowly like building up a Instagram retro page at the moment. Retro Hour Joe eighty nine. Um, little plug there, but I've. Pretty much the same as Dan. Other than the computers, I've got pretty much every 
every uh, console that's come out in the UK from the 8-bit 8-bit era mainstream. Um, in terms of games, I'm I don't know. I'm probably in the thousands. I would imagine. Yeah, and you have um, it set up really nicely, don't you? So yeah, you I've got. A, I think the SNES, like the PS2, PS1, Mega Drive. Like I have a couple of hundred of each of those ones. So yeah, quite a big collection, <laughs> which my wife hates. <laughs> <laughs> she won't when you sell it. Yeah, <laughs> or, or when you die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rob, he goes. I'd ask Ravi. If he's ever lived down the quiz where he said Chuck E. Cheese as an answer. Uh, that, never, no. That, no, that was my favourite no. moment on the Retro Hour podcast ever, he says. And when no. I see Paul Jury as well, he always <laughs> mentions I, it. I wish people could see my face when that happened. <laughs> I literally like just turned to him in slow motion, was just like, <laughs> What? Chuck E. Cheese? Like, what? You didn't have to edit out a swear word. And, and you know what? I, f- I, I actually figured it out. I can't remember the exact... The, listen- qu- the question was, I think it was what company... Did Jack Tramiel run before Atari, which yeah. was obviously Commodore? Yeah, yeah. And you said Chuck E. Cheese, but Nolan Bushnell did actually run Chuck E. Cheese. And I were, and yeah. I didn't realize that until after the show, and I listened back, and I was so like, oh. you just thought I was coming so out. I just thought, <laughs> yeah, I just thought he chicken fillet <laughs> looks it out of any. Yeah, exactly. Like Big Daddy Box meal, KFC. <laughs> like, and I was just like baffled by this and then it hit me after I listened back I was like oh he's thinking of the wrong guy but yeah no he's not lived it down no, yeah, no, it, never. it was funny it was I don't funny. think we're on the same team this year <laughs> no, I think the quiz this year um, aren't we answering the questions all I of think us all three I don't know I, I, I think there might be another quiz uh, team joining us maybe oh, we'll see as long as I can just hide in the background well. <laughs> come on we need to defeat Retro Gamer somehow <laughs> no get up with me on your team mate no <laughs> that's why I read the questions um, Stephen Fletcher our good mate let's see from me Stephen he goes um, it's a little bit different what drives you to do the show each week and also have you got any stories about how the Retro podcast has directly affected somebody's life and what's the strangest place the podcast has ever been heard cheers for all the work that you guys put in week in week out well i think we get amazing photos from all around the world yeah. so with strangest places we've heard we recently went to Nor- norway and people were coming saying we've come from the arctic yeah and we've listened to the podcast which is just absolutely amazing but i'd say drive um as I mentioned earlier, you know, before it was about the knowledge, it was about getting these people on the show and getting their stories heard. Still, that that is still a priority, but it's getting together with you lads, going to the events, mm. having fun, basically, now. Yeah, I think the drive for me is just the fun of it um, and getting to actually hang out with my friends, you know, pretty much every week and talk about one of my biggest passions, I think, for me, is just that drive. I don't see it as a chore at all. I get excited to do it. Um, especially the events, I always get really, really excited about them. Like I get, you know, that it's like Christmas for me. Like going to the events and stuff. And so. we've we've had some really kind listeners writing letters talking about. You know, we've had people with depression that have actually yeah. talked about how the retro hours kind of helped them. And also, we make a special effort. So if you're ever at any event, any of our listeners come up. You want to go out for a drink with us? We'll do that straight away. And that, that's what it's about. Always on Ravi. Always on Ravi. Always. What drives me to do the show? My wife actually cleans the house on a Wednesday night, so 
gets me at hovering coming in here. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good reason. <laughs> no, but again, same as you guys said. I mean, I love finding out the stories behind these games I used to read about when I was a kid. And the fact that we can come in here and chat to like, you know, people who were my, like I said, I switched Sean Southern we had on. He was a hero of mine growing up. So that's, you know, definitely a big motivator. And also, I love doing the events as well and meeting people in person. It's just the whole retro community, I think, is a really nice place. Yeah. And the kind of like, you know, there's a lot of arguments and there's a lot of battles and stuff in the retro community. And everyone has their own camps. And I think it's really good to have something that kind of unites everyone yeah. and the stuff like for example the chris abbott stuff like you know we were talking to him when he first started the orchestra and now it's going on to national yeah. television and like seeing the retro scene grow that much that really mm. excites me it's coming a long way in like the nearly four years that we've been doing the yeah. show isn't it uh, gideon he goes how's about focusing on one year at a time to chart the retro years you could call it now that's what i called retro starting in the 70s talking about what happened in the year maybe movie releases music etc nice idea but retro gamer do something like that every every month actually don't they They'd like back to the 80s and back to the 90s. Oh, well, and... We should go to Leo Laporte and say, let's do this week in retro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone will beat us to it now, Ravi. <laughs> oh, God, sorry. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice idea. But yeah, I think Retro Gamer probably do kind of cover that in, you know, we don't want to rip them off too much. <laughs> the, you know, we, I do a little Retro Gamer. Stephen Borley goes, is Ravi a chiptune artist? And if he is, will he help me out with the project? I am attempting to make chiptunes and doing a few samples at the moment. I can give you some tips, Stephen, so... Uh... Join me on Facebook, but also there's some really good Pro Tracker tutorials. So if you guys want to check them out, uh, Hoffman does a seminar on Pro Tracker, which is probably one of the best things I've seen. And he tells you all about like how to make drum loops and then record that as one sample and save space. Another one here, kind of following on from that, from my good friend Espen, Espen Tangent. He goes, hey guys, will you please name your top five SID and top five mod tunes? Probably one for you that, Ravi. Uh, yeah, I'd say anything by Slayer because he's freaking awesome. Um, yeah, pretty much Turrican. Yeah. You know, uh, Speedball 2 with John Fox, Nation 12, those guys, are the gods. Yeah. Soundtrack as well. If talking Sid stuff for me, I mean, kind of all the stuff you hear on the podcast, really, you know, the kind of the 64 music that we're going to Yeah, you, you pretty much pick the mod tune yeah. every week that goes before the. And we always get people going, what's the name of that song? And I'm like, it was from a pirated crack Joe. I don't know the name of it. <laughs> uh, a lot of the stuff, they're like Rob Hubbard stuff, obviously. The last V8, I do play quite a bit in this show. Um, anything by Ben Daglish, Chris Hughes, you know, yeah. all those guys. Yeah. Um, we've had all Actually, those TDK. Like I'm a huge fan yeah. of TDK, so check him out. Um, guy here called Tron. He goes, I'd love an episode about yourselves, guys. As a new listener to the show, I'd love to find out a bit about how the podcast originally came to be. And if you guys had ever met any of your guests before you started doing the show. Now this show actually kind of came out of our trip to Amsterdam, didn't it? Yeah, so we did a we did a kind of little video interview back in twenty fifteen, uh, TV it? show thing in Amsterdam, and yeah, uh, yeah we just Dan suggested why don't we do a podcast and a, quite I had a lot to drink. Yeah, <laughs> quite quite a few of the guests actually we'd met before because uh, guys like Paul Jury, David Doak, um, John Hare. Uh, we've met at events, but also my dad did a, an event called Screenplay Festival in Nottingham, which was all about cinema and uh, video games. Yeah. And we, you know, that was when the Dreamcast was coming out. And we had Choo Choo Rocket and stuff. And then Dan said, oh, I've got this friend called Joe. I said, oh, I never met. And then here I am. Yeah, no no I getting think, rid of him now. I was going to say for me and Dan, we'd been, we've been friends, what, 10 years now? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we always knew we were both massively into games and we played a lot of retro games together and stuff and you just kind of invited me on. 
which was very nice of you, thank you. <laughs> and just kind of shared a lot. Again, um, I had a lot to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, once again, a lot to drink. Um, so that's just kind of where it came from me and obviously introduced me to Ravi. Um, and then, you know, it's obviously just blossomed from there for me. Yeah, looking a beautiful thing now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron White, he goes, hey guys, what did you think first time you connected to a bulletin board system? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I saw a BBS. Yeah, same here. But I didn't really get online till the web. So I used to go to this, like, piracy store, and the guy would have an Amiga 4000, but he'd have, like, piracy up to the PlayStation level, so he had PlayStation ISOs on there and everything. But then he dialed up to a BBS, and I, like, looked over the counter, and I was like, what is this elite (laughs) world? And it was, like, all this text coming down, and he was just like, yeah, I'm just getting the latest games. Pretty interesting. I, I remember I, I called a thing called Kicks. It was called. It was like a conference and service. It's not around anymore. From school on an Acon Archimedes that had a modem on it. I, I brought a magazine and we we dialed it up while the teacher wasn't looking. And I did actually. I had a modem for a bit and I did try a few of the dodgy numbers. This is kind of yeah. after the web had come around, um, calling like you know Scandinavia and <laughs> places like that to try and download dodgy games. And then I, my I, mum confiscated the modem in the end. I was on the <laughs> on the wares scene and yeah, yeah. we used Telnet, FTPs, and uh, FXPing. Uh, next one here. Uh, speaking of that, actually, Wayne Dearden. He goes, how's about the dodgy side of computer ownership? Piracy, stag disks, etc." Uh, yeah, I was very much involved in that. <laughs> but um, I won't talk about it on air. <laughs> <laughs> in case the police are listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one here uh, from Stacey Bates. He goes, you've got a £500,000 Kickstarter pot to invest in one retro scheme. What do you choose? Now, for me, this podcast, of course. Um, a virus that destroys every computer apart from Amiga. <laughs> that would be mine. <laughs> um, I like it. The Dreamcast 2. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be enough money. Yeah, I was going to say, you might make yourself one. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> be happy with that. Chris Appleton, if you could change one event in gaming history, such as uncancelling a product or preventing a buyout, what would it be? And what do you think the effect would be today? I think it'd be interesting for like regulated Atari games. You know how Nintendo had the seal of approval. Yeah, yeah. To kind of go back mm. and do that with Atari games. I think it'd be interesting to see where we are now. Would it stop the would, video game crash? Would it different? exactly? Yeah. Would it stop the video game crash? Would video games be slightly ahead of where they are now, or would Atari be, you know, one of the giants now? Would Sega be still? Do you know what I mean? I think it would change quite a lot. That would have. I often had these like kind of dreams about maybe if you could go back then and show like the owners of these companies what was going to happen to them. Like if you could go to Clive Sinclair and be like, "Look, don't bring out the C five thing. Don't bring out the QL." You know, in a few years, going to sell to Alan Sugar. Would you then, if you like, you could prove you're a time traveller, yeah. or if you went to like Commodore and like fire like Mediali, that kind of thing. Would they take that seriously, or would you end up like in a white jacket? Or yeah. Something? yeah, so it's interesting to I, think of it. I I think Acorn. Yeah. What I would have loved was Acorn to actually become what Android is now. So the Acorn operating system, you know, Riscos, to go onto ARM and become the kind of mobile platform for everything because that had some great potential, that OS, and it had some great devices for controlling hardware, and it was really nice. I remember with these Acorn robot arms and stuff, and I really thought, you know, the Archimedes chips made it, but the actual OS is not. You can still get a Raspberry Pi, though, yeah. If you, if yeah, but it's, it. it's yeah. not dominant, is it? Uh, Jaster, he goes, does it grind your gears as much as it does mine when people refer to Mega Drive, Snares, Amiga era as 8-bit. 
I think I've really ever come across that when people call it 8-Bit, I don't know. Well, well, I run a show called The 8-Bit Mix, <laughs> yeah. and, and, <laughs> and everybody has a go at me and goes, Amiga's not 8-Bit, and I go, the sound chip is. <laughs> like, so I, I'm stuck right in the middle of that argument, yeah. So Steve, what first got you into computers slash consoles? Um, I think for me, that would be my parents. I mean, I've talked about my mum, you know, being in the computers before and my dad, you know, used to build them. But at school as well, I had a really good teacher who would, you know, we'd have like classes on the BBC Micro and she'd actually, you know, if we want to hang around after school for an hour, like she'd, she'd stay there and help us do stuff on the computer and teach That's us. That's pretty cool. Yeah, if you saw that you had like a passion yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I remember coming in and like, you know, she'd be doing marketing on a Saturday. Me and my mate would come in on a Saturday morning. She'd let us use a computer as well. She was doing work. So that was really, I mean, that's where I got the bug, really, I guess. When I was a kid, I had a, a guy that lived up the road who worked for the council, and he's a, a blind guy called Adrian, completely blind. And he basically came around and we'd, like, talk about technology, and he had to explain stuff to me. So he knew a lot about radio transmission, and we used to do lots of fun <laughs> with that and uh, listening to people's phone calls and stuff. But also, he got me into the whole computing scene and programming and stuff like that, and it was really nice to kind of have a... You know, a guy who couldn't see, but his focus was also on computers and sound and noise and stuff like that. It was great. You've got some dark... We should interview Ravi one week. Yeah, we just interview him. <laughs> Comes out of all this stuff. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, um, we had a, a Sega Mega Drive when I was born, apparently. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Must have been they... brand new then, though. Yeah, mm. so maybe it came... Maybe they got it, you know, as uh, maybe just, you know, not long after I was born because I've got an older brother and my dad my dad had a friend who actually worked for Sega who got them. Um, so for me, it's always been a part of my life. My I can't remember life without gaming mm. because my earliest memories are playing Golden Axe, Streets of Rage 1, um, Italia 90, you know, those kind <laughs> oh, of games. Yes. <laughs> Super Hang On, Shinobi 3, you know. I can't remember not those games existing in my memory So, and and being like the dominant thing I enjoyed doing, which is kind of crazy when you think about it yeah we do want to say lifelong passion it's true, yeah right? exactly so so i think we're gonna to have to round this up now because um you know we, we could probably do another two hours with all these questions yeah. we've got apologies if we didn't get to yours i mean we've got some great ones in i think we should maybe do this maybe in a couple of months time again yeah so uh send us some messages and let us know what you guys thought of this episode yeah we've got one more here we'll finish off with from uh, ryan he goes what are the future plans for the retro hour podcast world domination well actually i think <laughs> Future plans are we're looking at international shows. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing, we're not doing Play Expo this year, and that's because we've actually double booked, double booked, <laughs> yeah. and we're doing Amiga, uh, Amiga Germany, Germany. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but I think international shows. Since we went to Norway, that was absolutely amazing to meet listeners out there. And Poland, and oh, yeah. Poland as yeah. well. So I, I, I'm just really excited to be going to these different shows and seeing different countries, and you know. Which is a good point, actually. If you've got a retro gaming show near you, where, you know, maybe we could come and do the show live and bring a few guests over that we've had on as well, get in touch with us and drop us a tweet at RetroHourUK or email show at theretrohour.com. Because, again, yeah, it's, it's crazy, though, when we go to these places. I remember going to Norway about two years ago and I was out with, like, um, Friend, the company that we work with over there, and um, Hogner, the guy that runs Friend, he had a couple of friends with him. And 
I introduced myself to them. They're like, oh, you know, we all listen to your podcast every week. And it's crazy when you go to these different countries and, like, you don't imagine that there's any kind of following and, like... Yeah, it's mad. You know, I was in Atlanta like, at the uh, Home Computer Club yeah. and then I was just, like, working in a corner. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm from this podcast. And they go, I know Ravi, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that is great motivation for doing this show for us every week. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we love being part of it all. So thank you so much for all your questions this week. We'll have to do it again. So if you've got any questions for the next one... Um, at RetroR UK, show at theretroR.com, or just uh, drop us a, a little uh, inbox on Facebook. And we'll see you next Friday. Have a good one.